Hello, and welcome to the Landmark Theatre's Q&A podcast. Today we'll hear a Q&A with director Bernard-Henri Lévy following the opening night screening of his documentaries Peshmerga and the Battle of Mosul, moderated by Mitchell Landsberg, senior editor of the LA Times. This conversation was recorded at Landmark's New Art Theatre on the film's opening night. Well, um, thank you for, for being here and for this uh, remarkable these remarkable films. Uh, I think the the uh, the first thing uh, that has to be said about this is that a lot has changed in the rather short time since these films were made. Uh, the United States has. Uh, Abandoned its its support of the of the uh, Peshmerga, uh, and uh, President Trump is talking about pulling out entirely from the Middle East, um, and that's something that that actually is popular with a lot of a lot of Americans who ask why why should we have been there in the in the first place, um, and so I, what's you know what? What would you say to people who, who who say that? Why you know why should the United States have been there? And what, why is this why is this our fight? Why United States um, were right to be there? Uh, I think it is obvious for whoever sees the movie, uh, you were, you Americans and we uh, Europeans, uh, helping the bravest ally we had since long, um, the real fighters against ISIS, those who paid uh, such a heavy price to defend our values, the, the democratic and liberal values, um, if America was still America, if Europe was still Europe, it was enough to be proud of having supported these these guys. And um, the behavior of Trump, this uh, betrayal of the Kurds, this way of being um, unfaithful to to his own words is just inconceivable for someone who, like me, loves America, um, for someone who, like me, and like my little team, all the group of us who are in the same case, we, we know, we French, know that we would not be born without uh, young American soldiers uh, uh, arriving on the beach of Normandy and saving us from Nazism. So the fact that the same country today betrays his own world, betrays its own creed, um, and decides to have on his hands the blood not of his enemies, but of his best friends, this is frankly a source of great sadness. Mm -hmm. And um, not despair, because I, I hope this will be repaired at the, in the depth of my heart, but of great sadness, yes. ISIS is, by all accounts, resurging now. Um, where, do you th where do you see this going, 
and what, what will be the Kurdish role? I see it going uh, very pre precisely. I was back there and in the other Kurdistan in Syria a few weeks ago. Uh, I wrote, by the way, a story which you you will uh, find probably in the Wall Street Journal one of the next weekends. So I was there two weeks ago, three weeks ago, in some of the same places that you saw in Peshmerga and in Syria. And I literally saw ISIS. I literally saw places from which ISIS had been expelled or when they had been buried, and where they come back. They come back with, uh, with, uh, without shame, because the, the ground is, um, is again um, open to them. Mm -hmm. The international, international coalition faded. Uh, the Turks, uh, who are uh, very close to ISIS ideologically, are on the move, um, probably extending um, a dirty but brotherly hand to the remnants of ISIS. And the Kurds, who were the ramparts of the world against ISIS, are in this defensive position. As we know, they are trying to save themselves. In Syria, not these ones. Uh, this was the main part of my last reportage. In Syria, they have been compelled to save what what could be still saved, which is the children. They have been compelled to make a compromise with uh, the devil, who is Bashar al-Assad. And in Iraq, they are just uh, f frozen by the incredibility of the situation. They could not expect that. Sirwan Barzani, whom you see at the end of the Battle of Mosul, tracing this border with his bulldozers, not, what, what did he gain? He, uh, two kilometers, three kilometers, it was so little. He could not expect that he would be rebuffed, slapped, as he has been by us, not only Trump, alas. Trump, of course, gave the move, the, the move. but uh, Europe was not so much more brilliant, to be honest. And Russia and Iran, neither of them are uh, allies of, of ISIS, uh, certainly. Iran is not paralyzed. Uh, Iran uh, took advantage of the betrayal of Trump and of the withdrawal of American troops in order to gain some territory. After that, after the last image of the movie, uh, eight months after, eight months, uh, President Barzani organized a referendum of autodetermination. He, he genuinely thought that it was the least which he could do and which the West should accept as a reward of the incredible sacrifices they made. So he made the referendum of autodetermination. And he was already betrayed by Trump. This was two years ago. Six months after that, and two years, two years and three months ago, he organized this referendum. Uh, Rex Tillerson at this time 
said uh, it's a provocation, it is irresponsible, and so on. And at this time, two years ago, not the Turks, but Iran took it as a green light. They were emboldened by the uh, attitude of America. And what did they do? They took Kirkuk. They took all the area of Kirkuk, which you see in the, you have seen in the movie, these, these scenes where you see the Kurdish fighters gaining meter after meter the territory. All this was swapped, was wiped, wiped out of their map in a few days by Iran. And two years and three months ago, in this place where I was filming, you had some American Abram tanks led by General Soleimani. This should not be forgotten. Abram tanks delivered a few years ago to the Iraqi government, which was under control of General Soleimani himself. He was on the ground and he was green-lighted by Donald Trump in order to take, to steal, all this part of, um, of Kurdistan. So I said that because it is not only the Turks, it is also the Iranians. Iranians, this is what makes the Kurds crazy about America, the proper inconsistency of, of their politics. On one hand, uh, uh, Trump says that Iran is the main enemy, etc., etc., and then on the other hand, he extends on a silver plate one-fourth one or one-fourth of the Kurdish territory to, to Iranians. This is a very crazy, inconsistent uh, situation. So today, the real situation, if you, of course, there is a little bragging of uh, Trump, uh, a drone killing Suleimani. This is not very difficult to do, to kill a man through a drone nowadays. It's very difficult. But the general um, um, uh, landscape, the general scene, is that he abandoned the ground and the field to both the Turks and the Iranians at the expense of both the Syrian and the Iraqi girls. This is a real situation. In the, uh, the second film, The Battle for, for Mosul, uh, you, at, near the end, you draw a very sharp distinction between the Iraqi army, which is uh, shown to be uh, rather chaotic and, and uh, um, I, I guess you could say unprofessional, uh, and the and the Peshmerga, which are are uh, uh, depicted as being being very a very professional fighting force, what makes them uh, a superior fighting force? What what makes the Peshmerga such a strong fighting force? They they have that have had that reputation for a long time. Courage, of course, but most more important, values values, and democratic culture. When you have a democratic culture, though rather recent, not three centuries, but when you have this democratic mood and spirit, you economize the life. You don't shoot in the emptiness. You try not to make too many civilian, as, as little civilian casualties as possible. 
this is the curse. So because they are uh, on the way of democracy, if not a little more, and because they have decent and uh, ethical values, you saw that they are better fighters, not only in terms of efficiency, but in terms of what is much more important, it, in terms of respect of the adversary, uh, uh, respect of the civilian uh, uh, society, more important, and the Iraqis, uh, these Shia militias, you saw them, uh, Svatsika on the jacket, uh, shooting uh, like uh, crazy. Uh, yes, it's a completely different situation. And for me, this I don't show it in the movie, but uh, I recall it in the in the reportage of the Wall Street Journal, which you may see soon. Uh, one of my grand re regrets, remorse, of this time, is that I could not convince President Barzani of one thing, uh, which was, th this was, was one of my big arguments in the numerous meetings I had with, with him, the old Barzani, which was, you have to enter into Mosul. You cannot leave it to only the Iraqis. You have to be um, on the ground, on the photo, on the micro, on the little Yalta, which will uh, be the, the, the outcome of this Battle of Mosul. And unfortunately, I could not convince him. And I remember, uh, all that is happening today would not have happened, maybe, if, if he had obtained from the Americans the right and the duty and uh, whatever to do the end of the battle too, the situation would be different. And this was my great argument. I remember explaining to him that uh, in 1944, another general, a French one, General de Gaulle, uh, demanded, required, um, uh, and obtained from the Americans the right to liberate, to free Paris. Normally, Paris should have been freed by Americans, they would have done it in five minutes. The French did it in 10 minutes, okay? But the goal was wise. He knew that in order to build the post-World War II world, he had to be on the map, on the stage, on the picture. And this was my obsession during the film, because I, I made, uh, I was on the battlefield with my cameraman, but I was often uh, going back to Erbil for one night to speak with uh, President Barzani, and this was my main point. I remember in the middle of this battle, when I saw the Iraqi soldiers behaving so bad, doing not so well, I remember saying, you have to go. You have to obtain uh, from a state secretary this privilege, if I dare say, mm -hmm. to be. And no, there was a share of the work done in Washington. And the idea of the Americans was till the gates of, the, I say it in the movie, you, till the gates of Mosul, it is uh, responsibility of the Kurds after the gates. It is responsibility of uh, Iraqi. This was a mistake. Mistake of the Americans to have wanted that. 
and probably mistake of the Kurds not to have uh, pushed more and not to have um, uh, obliged the American to accept. Because what, what would they have done? If General Sirwan Barzani had moved with his troops in this place, on these uh, streets where we were, <laughs> what would have uh, happened? Americans would not have shot him. Except that there is one scene at the beginning of the second film, uh, ten minutes, eight minutes after the beginning, which is this battle of Fazlia, which is one of the hard battle of the of the second film. Uh, we are uh, moving toward Mosul, and we are st stuck. We are taken in um, in a trap by ISIS. You, you you remember the scene. What was incredible is that. I say it briefly in the commentary, the, aerian, the air support of the Americans did not come. We were stuck during uh, four hours under this terrible fire with some, some killed and some wounded. There was a radio man, a Kurd, who was asking on and on, repeatedly, air support, air support, it did not come. So I don't know. Maybe this day, I never completely elucidate the thing. Maybe this day, the Kurds did uh, outrepass the order. Maybe they, they went uh, beyond the requirements of the coalition. I don't know. And maybe I, I stay till today with a doubt. This was one of the worst experiences of my life, this battle of Fazlia being stuck there in the middle of nothing with no communication, no cell phone, nothing. There was just a talkie-walkie of the guy asking for air support, which was not coming. And I've, I have stayed till now with the doubt that maybe it was a sort of punishment of the um, uh, Western coalition. OK, you did not, uh, uh, the requirement was uh, to stay uh, as uh, in GFK when they told you, when they tell you don't go beyond the line, you know, with the yellow line. Maybe this was the other, I don't know. I don't know. So it might be that uh, Masoud Barzani, the president, was right not to, not, I don't know, at the end of the day. One, I don't know everything, even after doing that, <laughs> to be honest. Um, one thing that, that uh, you bring out in the film uh, that, that comes up repeatedly is that behind uh, this, uh, this fight, for the Kurds is the dream of an independent Kurdistan. Um, this is something that Syria doesn't want, Iraq doesn't want, uh, Iran doesn't want, and President Erdogan of Turkey is adamantly opposed to, sees it as, a, as an existential threat. Um, do you have any hope that that, that that could ever be realized? I yes, of course, I have uh, some hope, but more important, I have the. I really would like uh, not to die before seeing that, honestly, because it is such a. so bad, so mean, so one century and something, uh, it late, this story. The, the state was promised and then it was betrayed, and the, it's a nightmare. And when you see, um, 
Baghdad, Iraq is a state, has all the attributes of a real state. When you look at it, they have nothing of the solidity and consistency of the state. It's a collapsed state, it's a failed step state. Kurdistan, th those, they are not a state, though they have all the characteristics of, of a state. So it's unfair. It's unfair. I Iraq is treated as a real big uh, state and they are just uh, collapsing in nothingness. And the Kurds who deserve it so much and who fulfilled already so many of the requirements don't get it. So there is something which is not working, honestly. Can you talk a little bit about the technical difficulties of making this, this film? It was obviously extremely dangerous. Um, you have remarkable, there's remarkable scenes of combat uh, in, the, in the film, but as, uh, uh, as was clear by the, the, the fact that your cameraman was nearly killed, um, it, it came with a price. Yeah, it was uh, uh, technically <laughs> not so easy, that's true. I remember when, um, just before starting Peshmerga, you know how the economy of the cinema is in Europe, M mainly speaking, it is the television who uh, pre-buy a movie. This is the way they are produced. So my producer, François Margolin, who is a, a very great guy who was with me on the ground at my side most of the time. Just before the shooting, he came and he told me I have very bad news. I said, what is it? He said, we cannot do the movie. I said, why? He said, because I have television this, television that, Canal Plus and so on. I have this amount of money. Alas, all the money is going to be swallowed, swallowed by the insurances, insurance. The cost of the insurance for such a movie is so high that it is two-thirds of the budget which I have. So, uh, my dear Bernard, I'm obliged to tell you. So this is the, the measure of the technical difficulty. So we find a way. I decided not, not to be insured myself. I took it on myself. And I um, um, proposed to... to to offer a sort of private insurance of my own to my team, which, by the way, uh, was called because, as you saw, m one of my three cameramen was uh, heavily uh, wounded. And the fact is that I, I took care. I had to, and I did it with uh, all my heart because this man and the other, we, are, we, are we were five on the field, on the, on the ground. He took the risk because of me, because of the idea of this movie, because of the necessity of doing it, so it was my duty. But technically, it was nearly impossible. The market often says the truth. When the market tells you, you have X for the, uh, for the budget, or X is swallowed by the insurance, it means that something is not working in the, in the business plan of the movie. So it was difficult, yes. It was difficult. Uh, even by being so little, we were, f f again, five. Sometimes uh, we were too much uh, in some situation. At the end of the Battle of Mosul, 
there is uh, two scenes made with a GoPro uh, where uh, only two of us uh, were uh, behind the camera. No, it was very, very difficult. Technically, but also you had to believe in it. Uh, I believed, but it was my film. But my cameraman, who were th three young men, uh, I'm proud to say that uh, having uh, less than one half of my age, they believed in it. They, they had the same requirements as I had. They shared my, my concern, my will. This was great. It was, these two films are also a nice story of um, camaraderie, of, uh, of, uh, of friendness between these five uh, people. And the, the, the cameraman who was wounded uh, came back to, to shoot the second film, right? This was an incredible story. When, uh, as you saw in Peshmerga, I had, a co uh, I had a code with the President Barzani, let's have a dinner, in a, which meant Battle of Sinjar is going to come. But we had the same code from the Battle of Mosul. I had him promise to me, when the Battle of Mosul uh, starts, please invite me for a new dinner. So one day, his chief of staff called me in Paris and told me, President Barzani is inviting you for dinner. Okay, called immediately my, my friends. I told, Are you, do you agree to go? And the day after, the wounded cameraman, Alatayeb, called me. He's a Iranian Kurd, speaking uh, an even worse English than me. So he told me, are you a bastard? I said, what do you say? You are a b bloody fucking blah, 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 like this. <laughs> told him, what do you say that, my dear Allah? You are making a new movie and you don't ask me to be on the ground with you? I said, of course I don't ask you. You, you nearly lost your shoulder. I know it's uh, for the moment on, only half repaired. It was the right hand. It, it goes like this. So, of course, I did not ask you on purpose. And he had this great reply. He told me, of course, this is my right shoulder, but I still have the left one, and I want to be. J'exige. I demand. There is no, no question, no way. I have to be. And he went. And we were the same three, the two French, Camille and, um, and Olivier, and, and Alain. And he, was, and he filmed Battle of Mosul with his, with, his left, with his left hand and with the GoPro. He was the one with the GoPro on the head, uh, he wanted. For him, there was no, no question. That's remarkable. Um, you, besides this film, you have a, 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 a deep interest, I gather, in, in, in Mosul. The, the, your, your book, The Genius of Judaism, devotes a significant amount of space to, uh, to Nineveh, the biblical uh, Mosul and the story of uh, Jonah. What interests you so much about that, and, and, uh, and what about modern-day Mosul, uh, you know, resonates with that story? A Jew going to the radical other. Uh, what resonates for me is that to be a Jew 
means, of course, to be brotherly with other Jews, to be probably part of a community, though it is not really my problem, but it means more important than that to address the rest of humanity. And if you seriously address the rest of humanity, you have to address also the, those who, are, who don't share your values at all, who maybe want to, to destroy you. You have to speak to them. This is my deep belief. Those of you who maybe will see, uh, I, I, I know that the New Art screens also my book, my film about Libya, The Oath of Tobruk. And I, I pushed my Yona uh, tendency till the end. At the end of the Tobruk film, you will see Oath of Tobruk. I have a meeting in the outskirts of the city of Benghazi with the, the Libyan members of Al-Qaeda. It was 2011, before ISIS, and uh, I was invited by, uh, I was asked by one of my scouts uh, if I wanted to see them. And I said, of course, yes. And I was driving, the scene is in the movie, I was driving at night, it was during Ramadan, at two o'clock in the morning, they, they banded my eyes with no protection, I had no one, just a cameraman and my friend Gilles Herzog, and we went to this farm uh, where you had um, Abdel, Abdel, oh, I forgot the name now, but the brother Salabi and another one who was really a, a, a terrible guy, a fascist, <laughs> Al-Qaeda man. And we spent the end of the night from two o'clock to, to the morning discussing. And my first question to them, this is in the movie. I asked them my first words, do you know that I am a Jew? And what was honestly crazy is that they laughed. And I said, what do you laugh? We were in this uh, place. They had white uh, jellaba. They were really <laughs> not great faces. And they laughed. And they said, of course we know. I said, how? We know because Gaddafi is airing on and on a program on the national Libyan television. This was in August, a few weeks before the fall of Tripoli, saying that you are a Jew and that there is a ransom on your head. Uh, a ransom, like in Western, Gaddafi uh, uh, promised $6 million for the one who will br bring my, my, uh, my head. And they laughed. And then the st discussion started. I asked them, what do you have against the Jew? Against, and they began. I, uh, I asked them, do you, you are polygam. Would you marry a Jewish, a Jewish woman? Yes, no, why? So for me, the Yona uh, line is that, is to be able to go to speak with people who in other circumstances, if I had if I had not been their host, they would have killed me. And probably, I don't know how to kill a man, but morally I could have, yeah. But in these moments, there were a few hours where we spoke. And we spoke not, not without achievement, I think. Because there was a great moment, honestly, where um, they wanted to know why a man like me spent so many of his time 
uh, in Libya, it was August, the, my film started in February, previous February, so five months. So they did not understand, why did I do that? Was I an oil, oil trafficker? Uh, why, uh, was I selling weapons? Uh, was I uh, an agent of Israel? At a point, they understood that there was none of that. I was not uh, in an oil company. I was not a, an agent of Israel. That I was there just because I was. I believed in ideas. I had a creed, and I believed uh, that any people had the right to try to embrace democracy, and that democracy was not reserved to white uh, Western uh, people. Okay. When this entered in their crazy minds that there was no other reasons of my presence than that, I saw in their eyes really something vacillating. Their uh, deep creed that a French Jew could only be a, a bastard uh, give, extending the hand to all the dictators in the world was shaken. It was shaken. They, they thought at the end of the day our world might not be completely uh, uh, right. Maybe it's more complicated than what our propaganda says. And this minute, for me, was a Yona achievement. I was happy of this. When I went back in the same pickup at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, I was happy to have been the witness of this minute. There's a shocking moment it, it, near the end of the, the, the second film where uh, you show the swastika uh, on an armored vehicle. Was that, a, was that an ISIS uh, symbol? I mean, was that put there by them or do you know? It, it was probably an ISIS symbol too, but it was also a symbol uh, of these uh, Shia uh, pro-Iranian uh, brigadists, yeah. One of the pro what I want to show in these uh, few seconds is that the question of ISIS, of Al-Qaeda, of radical Islam and so on, of course has a religious content aspect, but it has also a political content. And the political content is the following. The, there was in the midst of the, 20, in the first third of the 20th century, a revolution, which was the, the fascism, number one. Number two, this revolution was worldwide. It was not only Germany, it was not only Europe, it was also America, Lindbergh, America first, and so on. And it was also the Arab world. People say, no, it, they were just anti-British. No, there was a real uh, Arab fascism. There was a real Iranian fascism, Persian fascism, and so on. And the point is that this um, impregnation of fascism, uh, this part of the world, is the only one we, where the work of mourning of Nazism has not been done. The Germans, the Europeans, the Americans, till recently, at the end of the day, understood what, it, what fascism means. And... Uh, and uh, what has to be expelled from their minds, uh, if they can, in order not to go back. To the only place where it, the work was not done is 
Iraqi, Syria, Iran, this part of the world. And this is at least as important, if not more, than Islam. The remnant of the fascist culture, which has not been eradicated because it has not been, it has not been recognized as such. This, there is, in this part of the world, a repressed fascism, a refoulé, repressed in the sense of uh, psychoanalysis. And when you have something which is so deeply repressed, it, it comes back, the return of the repressed. Uh, we, I can only uh, um, imagine what would be Germany if during the first 20 years of the post-World War, World War there had not been a, a deep, uh, cruel, uh, terrible work of uh, eradication of the Nazism. It was all in the brains. You had some, uh, 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 some chancellors also in Austria who were hidden uh, Nazis. Such, so, same in Baghdad, same in Damascus. And the guys who um, show a Svatsikas in a, such a bold way, such a naive way, in a way, they are in this case. They don't know, uh, they, they did not do the work, the job. They did not do the job of the denazification, which is a world job, which has been done in a lot of places. Well, not to get too deep in the weeds, but early in the in the first film, you have a mention of the of, the, of Sykes-Picot agreement, which uh, you know redrew the lines of the of the Middle East a uh, hundred and some years ago, and uh, created these kind of dysfunctional states. Right. You have the Sykes-Picot, and you have all the rest. Uh, and you have also the fascism again. Mm -hmm. uh, Sykes-Picot, uh, without the, the fascism, without, for example, Ba'ath, the two Ba'ath parties of Iraq and of uh, Syria, mm -hmm. it's a mix of uh, nationalism, of real fascism. The, the Ba'ath of Syria was invented by a group of men uh, among whom uh, a Christian uh, called Michel Aflac, who was a true fascist. Uh, you have the mix. You have some religious uh, background. You have such a political background. And you have the absurdity of the design of the borders uh, by Sykes-Picot, the other three. One of the most uh, arresting uh, and chilling moments in, in the first film was uh, when you say goodbye to the to the uh, the young white-haired general and you and you say God bless you uh, and you talk about only later seeing this as as, as sort of a, a, a premonition uh, and, and I've heard you say that uh, that that's something you don't you don't say to people that this is this was not a, 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 something you would ordinarily tell someone. What, where did that come from? And and uh, well, I, I never said that to anyone. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not a rabbi. Uh, even if I reflect on Yona, I never said to anyone in my long life, "God bless you." Uh, 
So why did I tell that to this man? Because I had the sudden feeling, um, yes, that something terrible will happen. When he explained me this is in the movie, when, when I touched the roof and when I tell him, please, because we spent three days together, it was a, a, re, a starting uh, camaraderie, camaraderie. There, was, there was something true uh, between us. And, um, and the day I, I went, the day I left him, I had noticed that with with my my crew, we have noticed that his cabin, his hut, was not protected. So I had promised myself to tell him. And he tells me what you heard. I'm just a peshmerga. More important that my men are protected than myself, and so on. And uh, and I have the sudden feeling. And the day before, the night before, there is this scene which is for me. Just to think back of it is heartbreaking, this scene when I see him among his commanders and saying that uh, when you look too close at the fire, you cannot go at the watch uh, tower. And this moment also, I had the feeling that this guy, something will, ha will happen. Too brave, too maybe, I don't know, too pure also, too, too brave, too, don't know. I, I had this premonition, and and my my friends, uh, my producer and my 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 cameraman, when we left, they told me, "Are you crazy? Why, uh, how could you say to this general, God bless you?" I said, "I know it was a little crazy, but I'm sorry. I, I felt it. I felt it like that. Don't know. I don't know how these things happen, but uh, alas, uh, after that, it happened in the." in the solid and horrible real. The ISIS fighters we see in the film, uh, in the, in the, the, well, I guess in both films, are uh, dead for the most part. Uh, or we see there's the scene of, of some terrified looking ISIS fighters being herded into a, into a truck but that, that we see sort of um, very glancingly. Did you have any encounters with, with any of these captured ISIS fighters, and were you curious to, to, you know, to, to interview them? I had some encounters after, and uh, last month. In Syria, I went in a, in a jail uh, where they are detained, and especially the French ones. So I did it, but honestly, I would not have filmed them. I would not have filmed them. As you saw, my, my way of filming, I don't know if it is good films or not, but this is my way. I film people. I film f in people faces. I'm interested in faces, face. And, uh, and faces, how would I say, with whom I have a real um, connection, a real way. Of, it may be, as in the Libyan film, this scene, but it is the extreme in Libya. But in general, no, I prefer my my my. I prefer to film these brave fighters at the end of Peshmerga. I was uh, I have 40 minutes of rush when I ask them why why do you combat as a question of Capra. I have 40 minutes. I just edited one minute, but I have uh, 100 guys. 
And I took pleasure in collecting pleasure, at least a great interest, collecting these replies. Why do you combat? Why do you fight? This I'm interested. ISIS, no. I promised myself not to... First of all, I don't know if, if I could have. I did it in Libya. I, I'm not sure I would have taken the risk again. But but I I did not feel the the, the necessity of that, no. And I decided to film them either dead, yes, or uh, eyes uh, folded. This was my parti pris of the movie. You, you cannot do two films at the same time. I think we're about out of, about out of time. I, I just had one more, one more question, which is, do you, you said you were back in, you were in Syria. Are you working on another film uh, in this area? No, I'm not working because these sorts of, uh, of films, they come. You don't uh, plan a film. I never decided to do Bosna, which you can see also uh, in another room of the New York. I did not plan to do uh, Libya, Peshmerga, neither, and Battle of Mosul a little. Battle of Mosul, I got the promise to come back, but I don't plan. So it depends. Maybe uh, tomorrow, I don't know. Uh, I will have. I will have the op. The four movies I did. I did them not because I, uh, I have a lot of other things to do. I have books to write. I have joy to collect. I have a family I love. So it's not, on, not by pleasure. I did these four movies because each of the four times I had the feeling, right or wrong, I don't know, but I had the feeling that if I did, if I did not do it, maybe nobody else will do it. The films, at least, I wanted to do. Battle of Mosul, it was clear. Um, uh, I knew, uh, I know that uh, there was uh, not so many people, maybe no one, on such a long time, on the, in Mosul and in the surroundings, from November to to end of January. So I knew that if I did not do it, uh, my film about Bosnia 25 years ago, same. Uh, the city was besieged. You, there was Suzanne Sontag making a theater play, and uh, John Burns of uh, your colleague of the New York Times, a few others, and that's it. Uh, and no one filming. So I had the means to do it. Uh, so I decided to do. So next movie, we'll see. Maybe I will call you in a few weeks, a few months, <laughs> telling you <laughs> I'm back on duty. We'll see. We never know. Well, thank you very much. These, these are remarkable documents, and I uh, appreciate the conversation. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Landmark Theatre's Q&A podcast. If you want to hear more conversations with filmmakers about the latest independent, foreign, and documentary films opening at Landmark Theatres, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit our podcast website at landmarktheaters.podbean.com. You can also check out our YouTube channel for videos of Q&As and other exclusive content. See you next time.